As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 123-117 to win over the Brooklyn Nets, which gives them a one-game lead over the Nets as the top seed in the Eastern Conference with 17 games left to play. But since they now have the tiebreaker, thanks to a 2-1 to record against the Nets, it's essentially a two-game lead. We talk about whether the Sixers should be able to hold on to that top spot, about what we saw last night and how that might translate to a potential playoff matchup between the two teams. We then pivot to how absurd it is that Joel Embiid is having the best Sixers season in 40 years, yet we'll probably walk away without even a first-team All-NBA or All-Defensive Team nomination. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Podner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We have a first place Philadelphia 76ers team to talk about, and that will be a... We will probably have a chance to say the first place Philadelphia 76ers for a little while now, uh, because they won against the Brooklyn Nets uh, 123-117 to last night, which gives them not only a one-game lead with 17 left to play, over the Nets for the top spot in the Eastern Conference, but also gives them the tiebreaker, the 2-1 to season series tiebreaker because they're only playing three three games because it's a 7-2-game schedule. That is now clinched, uh, so they have basically two games in hand. But how you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. So I really had two takeaways from that game. Number one, and like you said, the Sixers now have a two-game lead, essentially, in the uh, tiebreaker. Number one, the Sixers should get the one seed. I I, I didn't think this was going to happen. If you listen to us at the time of Joel Embiid's injury, I might have said guaranteed number three seed, or it it was looking that way. I was wrong. Hand up. They have weathered the storm better than any team in the East this year. They're in the best spot. And, And the other reason I think that they are going to get that number one seed because the Nets really don't seem like they give a shit. They don't give a shit. Yep. That was no. If they if 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 getting the number one seed was a priority, sit their stars against Minnesota, play the Sixers uh, with a fully healthy and and lined up squad. They did not do that. Uh, so that does tell you. And look, there's a lot 
that we'll talk about with that game in terms of what it means. Uh, the number one takeaway is that that it was a huge game from the Sixers' perspective to get that number one seed. And it's not only huge because they have now essentially a two-game lead, but it's huge because it does show that Brooklyn just isn't prioritizing that. And whether or not that is disrespect to the Sixers or just a, a, a self-confidence within that clubhouse, uh, they do not seem like they think home court advantage against the Sixers is something to really push for, which is a decision. Um, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. Quite frankly, it is wrong. Um, I think it's. I think it's a little confident. Wrong. Yeah. yeah, they could be both confident in themselves and also get hit with a little bit of hubris there. But uh, well, yeah, the Sixers should have a, a good chance now. With like I said, 17 games left to play. Well, also Co- Coach Vibes, Hall of Famer Steve Nash. I mean, it, it really didn't take that much effort to. Okay, fine. You, you want to sit Durant and play him against Minnesota again? That's not the decision I would have made, but. I think a lot of times when you have these stars, in general, they play the first one. That, that's how it goes. Fine. You're making a furious comeback and can get kind of a, a BS win because the Sixers completely left their foot off the gas pedal. And by the way, the even with this Sixers team, who I think have been better with holding leads in third and fourth quarter, they it's a very fine line between closing the game and leaving Embiid on the bench. And wow, yeah. you're very lucky that Coach Vibes did not put Kyrie Irving back in the game. They're, they were running yeah. offense through Alizé Johnson, who the Bluecoats were beating in the playoffs four <laughs> weeks ago. And, and Steve Nash was like, that's cool. And Kyrie Irving sitting on the bench, having played a masterful offensive game. Just, yeah, no, we're not, we're not going to play him. We're going to let the bench guys try and win it. And the bench guys are pretty good. I, I don't think they... They shouldn't have taken out all of their players. Nick Claxton certainly should have been in that closing five. I would say Bruce Brown should have been in that closing five as well. But man, like Jeff Green, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris wasn't that good last night, but any of these options are sitting on the bench. You know, you're running it through Landry and TLC, a lot of former Sixers, uh, you know, on that Nets team, on that Nets bench with the coaches and everything. They just don't give a shit. And so I don't think that's necessarily a a huge deal for the Nets, but if you do have to play the Sixers on the road, this the, the Sixers are a much better team when they can start in Philadelphia. Maybe the Nets' talent will just be too overwhelming, but yeah, I don't, I didn't necessarily agree with not caring that much. Like it, you could give a little bit of effort to try and get that one seed. Right. Uh, these these were all like you could have gotten Durant rest while still having him play against the Sixers. You could have, have have allowed some of those bench players to get an extended run because they're responsible for that comeback, while also then shuffling in your star player, who, by the way, was, like you said, having a very good offensive night. I saw a little bit of well, actually, oh, well, look, he was in oh negative 13. Single game say, plus minus. Single game plus minus doesn't tell you too much until it supports our narrative, and then people love to run it out there. He was very good against the Sixers, and we'll get into what that means. You know why he had a bad plus-minus, by the way? He played um, against Joel Embiid most of the night with DeAndre Jordan guarding him. Right. That's why he right. had a bad plus-minus. Right. Not to hand wave some of his defensive miscues, because Kyrie is a terrible but, but defender. He didn't give but, yeah. up 80 points from Tobias Harris? Come no, on. I mean, no. look, just my thing is don't make me defend Kyrie Irving. That That's my... When, <laughs> right. when you're making me defend it, like... Did you watch the game? He was masterful on the offensive end. He was <laughs> that offense. I don't care if he gave up a bucket every time on the other end of the court, which he did not. And he, he is weak on that end of the court. Minus 13 does not 
do justice to how well he played. Right. Um, but yeah, the n- number one takeaway is that they have an inside track on that number one seed. So let's shift and, and talk about what we did notice in that game. Now, of course, we have to mention uh, the the Nets were without um, what they were without Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, which we'll get to is is a little different of a situation. Um, two pretty big heavy hitters there. Blake Griffin was out. Um, so a lot of talent off of the table there. Uh, the Sixers were without future Hall of Famer and Dwight Howard as well. Um, not that that's quite comparable, but they Wearing were without some very him. loud so, orange pants on so, the bench. Dwight Howard. Very loud. Yep. Yep. Um, so both teams were missing some players. Nets obviously missing far more of what makes them the Nets. Uh, and now you will have gone a three-game season series between these two teams where you got one game out of James Harden, one game out of Kyrie Irving, and no <laughs> games out of um, Kevin Durant in those three matchups. So we really don't have a whole lot to go on when you project forward to a playoff series. That being said, we'll spend the next 20 minutes projecting forward to a potential playoff series because right now the the rest of the regular season, while the chase for the number one seed is important, that's why we let off the podcast with that, the rest of the regular season really is a tune-up now for that postseason. And we've got a couple of key matchups coming up here, a a, a not a, a back-to-back, not even a home and road, but a, a road-road uh, two-game series against the um, Bucks coming up here soon. But this was a this was a big one, and I thought it was interesting. A couple, you know, a couple things: how they defended Kyrie Irving, how they attacked Kyrie Irving, and how the Nets defended Joel Embiid are probably the three things you can take the most from this lineup. And also how they defended Ben Simmons, uh, because that came into play there as well. Where do you want to start off? Of Let's those? start out with how they defended Joel and Ben, because I think that's probably the most transferable okay. to you know you'll, you'll just have different people in those spots, but. When the Sixers are on defense, Nets are on offense. The, the talent is, well, you know, the, the the talent gap between what we've seen and what we are going to right. see is, is something that uh, is probably going to play more of an impact there. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, so they, they defended him, um, started off the game with uh, defending Embiid with DeAndre Jordan. Uh, towards the end of the game, they certainly started denying more, trapping more, uh, fronting a little bit more than they did in the beginning. Joe sort of brushed that off as a um, a reason why they struggled down a stretch, uh, but I think it did play a little bit to that. You know, I think, first of all, it just goes without saying, you know, Joel had, what, 37 points through the first three quarters. Didn't even really have his A game. Uh, he was missing some of those jumpers again. Missed a couple of bunnies inside. Uh, still got to the free throw line. You know, I think, um, I mean, the main takeaway is they can't defend him one-on-one. And really going back and rewatching it, when they have to rotate, they're fucking awful. 
Like they are just an awful defensive team. Like you saw going back to Kyrie Irving, there were a couple where he just like, he sort of like meanders over in the vicinity of Joel Embiid and he's still three feet away and he's not really doubling Embiid and he's not, he's leaving his man open. Like he's just an aimless defender at times. And I saw that a lot uh, last night, uh, a couple where Joel still split the double team and he had Danny Green wide open because Kyrie Irving just didn't really commit to either. Joe Harris, God bless him, but like Sixers are posting up Tobias Harris. They send a double team. Joe Harris just lets Ben cut right through the middle, uh, right for a layup. And DeAndre is not going to leave his man because DeAndre's got Joel in a dunker spot. Like their, their principles in terms of double teams are just awful. Sixers traditionally haven't been a very big matchup hunting team. Um, but with Joel, they can hunt a matchup, which is pretty much anyone in the league. With Harris, they can hunt a matchup, or or Simmons, they can hunt a matchup if they have Kyrie on him, and they're so bad at covering up for that, that that is going to... Look, I don't want to go into a series where you're reliant on Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons posting up a lot, but I think the Nets might be so bad that you can get away with some of that. Doc, from a, a schematic standpoint, I think one of his strengths, really good, good off the ball against the switching defense to get the matchup he wants, often Tobias against the smallest, weakest defender on the on the perimeter. And I think you can see, like the Nets, they switch pretty much everything. When DJ is in there, they don't switch. But when Claxton is in there, and they are a better team when Claxton is in there, I don't think Claxton's going to stop Joel. We can talk about that. They switch everything. And if you're going to do that, like Doc is pretty good at pulling the strings that Tobias gets that matchup, and Tobias this this entire year has proven that he can score against a, a favorable matchup for him. I think Tobias is going to eat. Like he was not dealing, or he was not feeling that well. He was dealing with a, a knee injury of some sorts. That's, I guess, something to take a look at too. Eleven of seventeen. I think every shot he missed, I was like, man, that was that was a very makeable shot. Every shot he got was pretty easy. Um, so yeah, I think the the way the Sixers we're attacking them is is pretty easy. And and they you're right, they can't guard Joel. Like I thought Joel what'd you think? C plus game from him? I, I thought yeah. C plus health for for the first half. He was laboring during the first half of that game. Certainly didn't have the explosion, didn't really get into it that much after the game, what what he was dealing with, whether that was the knee actually bothering him or this brace that he adjusts. 30,000 times per game, whether, you know, regardless of which one it was, he he didn't have the same level of explosion, and he also didn't have the same level of touch. DeAndre, who I don't think is the worst matchup just because he is big, so it's a little harder for Joe to bully him. He's going to bully him eventually. Like, I I don't want to say that he's not going to get all the way to the rim and get fouled. He was giving... Anything I would say outside of 16, 17 feet is a warm-up shot. The three for Joe, it's like, look, I know he's always open from three, but how many times has he gotten people with those pump fakes? No, he could, like, you could throw him the ball with 20 seconds left on the clock. He could dribble the ball for 18 seconds and then fire three at the end, and DeAndre will not go out any closer towards him. So I, I am very confident that he... If he is healthy, if he is making that jump shot, he is going to torch these guys. Um, but but they do play way off, and that's uh, Jeff Green at the beginning, and then Claxton at the end. They also play laughably off Simmons to a degree that I'm surprised other teams don't take it this far. They they were under the basket yeah. against him. 
and and frankly, like, why not like like dare him to make shots against you? If you have a defender as big as Claxton, stand under the rim, make him try to shoot 20, 25 shots because, you know, we saw at the end of the game, he was entering the ball to Embiid. Ben was standing behind the three-point line. His guy was already on Embiid. Like, he's he's not even looking at the basket. He's trying to, th- yeah. to thread an inbounds pass to Embiid. And look, that could be changed a little bit. Like, just don't make Ben the inbounds passer. Make it a little bit <laughs> easier on Joe. But that is the probably the most informative thing that the Sixers got from last night's game. They saw how the Nets are generally going to guard their two best players, and they are going to sell out to stop them at the rim. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to take too much from the end of that game. I think I do think that was a little bit of a weird, fluky fourth quarter. Doc tried to sit Embiid and Simmons for the entire fourth quarter, and yeah. for a while it looked like he was going to get there. Yeah, they were up, they were it, up what, like 15 at one point. Like, they certainly had a chance, yeah. Yep. And then... He had to put him back in with about four minutes left in the game, and they had no energy, right? They, Joe sat three minutes longer than he probably should have. I, I'm not taking too much from that, but just we, we know that's coming. We we know that they're going to play off Joe, and they're really going to play off Ben, and the Sixers have to work around that. And they, I certainly don't think they were uh, 100% there last night. That's okay, though, but but that that is what they're going to see. Yeah. No, I think, uh, and look, that— that, like I said, the combination of having a lot of, of individual defenders that you can attack, whether that's a, a guy like Joe, who you're used to attacking with, or even a guy like Tobias, who now might become a, a someone that the Nets are going to double team a lot. Um, if you get that team into rotations, I think the Sixers are going to have success picking them apart. You know, the, the concern does come in. Like, I do worry a little bit, especially with, with Claxton. Um, if he is defending Simmons and he can be that off-ball roamer, I think he can cause a little bit of... Havoc. He's not a good matchup with Embiid because Embiid is just physically too strong. Uh, but with Simmons, he could cause some. And that's always going to be sort of like the rub with 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 Ben. Um, you give a team seven games to figure out how to make use of his non-threat in the half court. Uh, and do they have the combination of personnel and scheme to make use of that? They will get better when Durant and Harden come back. Uh, Durant is, is outside of Claxton. He's our best defender. Harden is at least a guy you can't post up. So now you only have really one or two weak guys in Irving and 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 Harris to um, mismatch Hunt against, but you still have Irving and Harris. So to if the Nets close with Claxton at center, I mean, who's guarding Embiid then? Right, like yeah, you can nobody, only guard nobody. one of the yeah. two. So that that is one of the the issues. I mean, they had Alize Johnson solve one problem and you create another one for sure. Yeah, and to be fair to the Sixers too, like another reason why I agree with Joel that. It was a bit of a weird ending. Tobias, that he got taken out in the last three and a half minutes because his knee was was hurting him. He's yeah. your mismatch hunter. He's the guy that Doc runs those money after timeout plays for if they're not for uh, for Embiid. So, yeah, I think uh, I, you don't want to take too much from it, but you, you did see a, a sketch of what Brooklyn is going to do against uh, against those guys. Nick Claxton, by the way, my favorite play of the night. He's a uh, you know, he's obviously a very switchable five. He's, you know, he can move his feet. He can contest at the rim against Simmons, all that stuff. Gets the corkster on a switch. Might have stopped him five times on, on a drive. And Cork didn't lose the ball, but he got stoned, like, trying to make his move five times. Don't you dare give the corkster a six drive. <laughs> 
Corkster, who might end up like he he may very well have worked his way into that playoff rotation. Um, it probably a little bit matchup dependent, but uh, he has been playing very good basketball, really on both sides of the court the past week or two, uh, which has been not something you can always say about him. Um, yeah, no, he's 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 playing well. Uh, so let's move on to the other side and defending Kyrie Irving. Whew, he is a he's a tough one. The Sixers started off, um, you know, they certainly trapped a little more than they normally did. Uh, they switched a little more, especially on the, um, you know, when it was some combination of Simmons, uh, Harris, and Green. Uh, but they also then gave up a couple of open mid rangers to him as well. Uh, and then some. He can just he had a couple of con- that spin move he put on Matisse, <laughs> and then shielding him and getting that finish. Like you just you can't you can't guard that. There's nothing you could have done to prevent that. He is going to be a problem for the Sixers. You know, I think looking at the matchup data and I didn't, I don't put too much stock in the matchup data on this one because like I said, there was so much more trip trap trapping. There was so much more switching on pick and rolls, but I think Simmons held him to five points on one of two shooting, but the flip side is he had five assists and only one turnover because he, they were forcing the ball out of his hands. He's just, he is a very good, complete offensive player. And when, I mean, I guess we can a couple minutes on defending Kyrie, but then we'll move into when they have their other big three available. That movie put on Thibault was so nasty. It was incredible. It was that's incredible. really good defense, and that's the theory of the Brooklyn Nets. It's that, look, you can put out Ben Simmons and Batiste Thibault, who are these two awesome wing defenders, and our offense is just going to beat you because that's the way the league is right now. And, uh, you- and, and the Sixers had an entire game where they could make sure that they had, and Danny Green still defended him quite a bit, which probably more than I would have liked. Um, but they had the option where they could have put their their two best defenders on Kyrie the entire game, and he still dropped a very easy thirty seven. You uh, it's a very good offensive. Player. You didn't like Danny Green guarding him last night. Well, no, we'll, no. I we'll, think I think we'll get ready for Danny June. Green, man. Yeah, I think Danny <laughs> Green gave up like ten points in like four of six shooting in like maybe like a third of the possessions that Ben Simmons was on. It was not. Not good. It was a very Beal-like effort from Danny, like a, a yeah. Beal Jan- yeah. point effort from Danny. Yeah, it's uh look, that's not his strength. He's staying in front of guys. That's not where he shines. He's he's Covington, man. He's the off-ball defender. He's probably a little bit better at, at staying in front than uh, than Cove. But he certainly wasn't his prime. Yeah, no, it's it's tough for him now. It's it's <laughs> I wouldn't when you have him against Kyrie Irving, that is scary. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I thought Kyrie was was just awesome offensively for for three quarters, and the Sixers they scored on the Nets very easily, in part because Kyrie is very bad defensively. But I mean, some even some of his passes, I thought he uh, he did an awesome job reading when Joel was going to help him. Yeah, and and he threw lobs to DeAndre, who's you know he's obviously not Lob City DeAndre anymore, but if you put it up there for him, he could still get it and, and jam it. He had a couple actually on Embiid backpedaling that are yeah, kind of half posters type of. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's probably why in that game you, you see more trapping because you trap, you get the ball into like Jeff Green's hands. Well, Jeff Green has a pass to DeAndre. He has a pass to the corner. Jeff Green's not good enough to see either of those passes. So you can get him to sort of reset the offense um, and, and get your defense back to where it needs to be. You trap with James Harden and Kevin Durant on the floor. You're he's he's gonna one of those two is gonna beat you before you have a chance to recover. 
uh, it gets much more dangerous. Everything and the thing that you more dangerous. the thing you can't take away from this game is that look when Durant and especially when Harden is in the game, Kyrie has the ball in his hands a lot less yep. when Harden plays. Harden is the the point guard of that team. But Kyrie is having, and by the way, I say this as somebody who's not the biggest Kyrie Irving basketball fan in the world. We can, <laughs> I, I'm not even going to comment on the other stuff, but uh, I, I just have, have thought like, yes, he's very valuable when he has a LeBron James next to him. He can get his shot at the end of games. That is a valuable skill set against playoff half court defenses. But in terms of like him raising your floor, being the main guy, he's not that good. But it doesn't matter. When they have Harden, he's playing the most efficient basketball of his career. Like he's like a catch and shoot guy. He's making quick decisions off the ball. He's man, he's a handful. And if he's their third best player, which I certainly think he is, that's uh that's tough. Have you noticed, by the way, Ben on I think it was on the jump he said it, and then he said it to us, uh after the Dallas game, he has been hammering the hashtag there's only one ball thing with the uh, with the Nets. And, you know, maybe he's trying to speak it into existence. But, uh, yeah, he's been going hard. At, they got to play defense and they got to uh, they got to share the ball. I don't know. I think they're doing a pretty good yeah, job. It might they be the only best... one ball, but you've still got to defend all three of them. Um, and that makes there's... it easier on the other two. It is, yeah. Th- well, there's also only one best offense in NBA history, which they have too. So, you know, it's. And as we have said many times, there's only one Ben Simmons. So they are going to have, we talk about matchup or mismatch hunting on one end. Like they're, they're going to have their opportunities for sure. And with the way they can put you into ball screens, it's going to be a lot of very uncomfortable decisions when you have to guard all three of them. If, if that ever happens, it's amazing how little that's happened. Uh, we really have no idea what it's going to look like. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, and a big part of their game plan, I, I imagine, is they're going to want Embiid to switch at times just because they're probably supremely confident in what Durant and Harden and Irving can do against a switch. Now, to Joe's credit, after kind of limping up and down the floor for the first half, he, he blocked the shot from the weak side on Kyrie in the third quarter, and then he stayed in front of him on a switch, which was nice. That was kind of like 
old school Joe staying in front of a guy who you would think would just be able to blow by him. I like how uh, you're saying old school about a guy who's like 27. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened, there's you know. There's been a lot of stuff. I, I think it's a fair point by you, but... Uh, it's a fair point by you, too. It's not wrong. Yeah. I'm just pointing it out. Old school when he was 80 times more athletic than he is now, but not as good. So, yeah, like I thought uh, they made him work a little bit. That's going to be part of their game plan because one of the ways to slow him down is to make him work on the, the other end of the court. and hope he's, uh, hope he's tired, but... Uh, yeah, it's going to be look, it's going to be impossible to to guard that. I just think that the story of that series is impossible to guard the Sixers on one end with that personnel. Yeah. Yep. Impossible to guard the Nets on the other end with that personnel and I would with, imagine with any personnel really. Yeah. They um, they don't even need to get switches is the is the tough thing, so. No, it, it is going to be fun to watch. I really hope it happens. I hope it happens with with everyone healthy or well everyone. I guess bring it up. They were, you know, we we said it without Durant and Harden and Blake Griffin also with LaMarcus Aldridge, um, who at the time he was listed as out with a non COVID illness. We found out today that as he announced himself, uh, that he had an irregular heartbeat in his final game and that he is retiring from the NBA. So that is a, you know, you don't, I don't even really care too much about how it impacts a potential matchup. That is a very real life, uh, health situation. All you can hope for is the best health. Uh, that is the number one priority. Pro- and what was probably a tough decision. This is a his livelihood, a chance to run for another for a a, a title, um, and just just brutal, um, just brutal. That was a, a shocker and a tough one too. It's one thing to yeah. break a foot, but so talk Hall about fame, a heart that's different. Hall of Fame player has a had to play for a title team. Yeah, that sucks. Or I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame player, but awesome, awesome player. It, yeah, I, I actually don't. I actually looked it up yesterday because I was making the comment about how many Hall of Famers were out of that game uh, in the Harden, Durant, um, Dwight are all pretty much no doubt about it. I think the Hall of Fame probability on basketball reference has Dwight at a 97% chance. And then the other two are obviously um, 99 or 100. I think Griffin and uh, Aldridge were both around 50-50. Yeah, I would believe it. I, I don't really... The the only one that I ever get in an argument about is is Chris Bosh is definitely in the Hall of Fame. Should be. Yep. Normal people, uh, normies don't uh, don't always agree. Didn't with. he have an irregular heartbeat too? He did, and I would, I bet he'd still be playing right now. He had a game that feel like he would age better. Yeah. So that that sucks. I. You said you didn't want to talk about the uh, how it affects them in a playoff series. I don't think it affects them all that much. Because I was worried they were going to play him and Griffin more than Claxton, who is a better player. And it gives them a different element than they have now. Now they they don't have to to make that decision. I mean, LaMarcus is still, he's still a pretty good offensive player, but man, he would have had some trouble on the defensive end uh, against Embiid. Uh, All right. So, you know, I guess I will say, uh, because Joel was so good the other night, do you think he has a, a legitimate chance for MVP now? You know, there's obviously been a couple of big developments since he went out, uh, since we had this conversation. He only missed 10 games. The Sixers held up well. Uh, they went, what, I think, 7-3 and three in the 10 that he missed. And then um, LeBron James obviously went out and is missing a significant amount of time, takes him out of the running. And then, you know, the Jamal Murray injury. Um, if the Nuggets, right now, 
it seems like it is Jokic's, certainly Jokic is the strongest contender. I'd say he's probably the front runner for MVP award. But if the Nuggets now struggle without Murray and the Nuggets fall back to fifth or sixth in the West, which is a little tougher because the Lakers aren't probably going to win too many games until AD and LeBron come back. But if if the Nuggets do fall, does that open up the door for Embiid to win MVP again? No. Okay. I, I just think, like, look, as, as long as the Nuggets don't fall off a cliff, which I don't think they are, not in the regular season, the Murray injury is catastrophic for them playoff-wise. But the problem with that, know, so they they are um what they are two and a half games or no they're they're a game up on the Lakers, uh, Nuggets are in fourth, uh, Lakers are in are in fifth and they're a game up, but they have a three point five game cushion over the Blazers, and then a uh, four and a half game cushion over the Mavericks for sixth and seventh. So really, the only team that could realistically vault above them is the Lakers, and the Lakers are playing super shorthanded as well. Yeah, and you know sometimes I laugh at uh, the the justification for whether Embiid's chances have improved or not. Like I remember Tobias saying after that seven and three stretch, he was like, "This is great. Our chances to get Joel the MVP have improved. Like we're gonna be the one seed maybe, and that's a big deal." And I, like on the one hand, I agree with that. On the other hand. You guys just went seven and three without him. Like you guys, yeah. pretty good team. Like I, again, I, I, this is not me in in my head. Like thinking any less of Joel Embiid. It's more, you know, as somebody who's watched all of his games. Hey, finally, you guys held up your end of the bargain without him. But I think to a normal voter, it's like, yeah, all right, that's probably not the the best thing in the world for him. He is a uh, he's been the per minute MVP yeah. this year. Look, he but, is having an MVP caliber season. I agree with you. It would take Denver to fall to fifth or sixth. I don't see that happening. And even so, like that seems very arbitrary if they win the same so amount arbitrary. of games. In, in the fifth, West? Yeah, but but voting does tend, I mean, like all of these voters are not going to be, think like voting can be arbitrary. I think there's a psychological difference between three and four versus five and six, but I do think that they will weather the loss of Murray uh, and not, because there, there just aren't that many, like the West has separated itself quite a bit and the Lakers not being healthy, I don't see them overtaking it. Um, Joel Embiid having an MVP caliber season, came back, has looked good here. You're in a spot for the one seed. That's all great. I think it would still be an outside chance of winning the MVP award. But I hope, look, uh, he's had an MVP caliber season. Just, it's tough when you miss that many games. Let's say they get the one seed and they play normal basketball kind of the rest of the way through. Nothing, you know, no explosions. Joe is relatively at his normal level. It's mostly what we've seen throughout the year. Do the Sixers win any major awards? I two could, that I'm thinking of right now. Yeah, well, Coach of the Year and Executive of the Year. Um, Ooh, I wasn't thinking about Executive of the Year. I don't really care about that one. Although, I think often being an NBA GM, winning Executive of the Year is something that you've done three years ago to lay the groundwork for that. Like Sam Hinkie should have oh, been yeah. the 2017-18 Executive of the Year. Uh, I think I think he he got a vote the year he was pushed out or the year he left. Um, if you're not watching a video, I'm doing air quotes. Um, I think he got a vote. I'd be curious to find out who that was. Yeah, but well, but with Daryl, it's it's pretty interesting because a lot of their improvement can be directly attributed to the moves he made mm-hmm. last fall. Uh, I do agree with you that a lot of times that award goes to who made the best moves years ago. 
I think Doc could get consideration for Coach of the Year. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably not. Although I'd have to really think down and think about who I think will win it. Monty Williams. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's a shoe-in. Forget it. Forget it. The, with the year that Phoenix is having, yeah, for sure. For sure. But Doc could legitimately come in second. The uh, the other one I was thinking of is... Uh, Defensive. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about uh, Ben Simmons. Really? Well, you think Joe is going to actually get more votes than Ben? No, I think I think it's going to Rudy Gobert. Yeah, but I think Ben's going to come in second. I feel like the narrative around that is stronger, yeah. You're probably yeah, right. and that's probably, the reason why. I, that, I, that, I, that was the I, point I'm going to bring up. If I was voting, I would vote Joe over Ben. Which, by the way, this goes back to an article you just wrote at The Athletic on the impact of wing players, wing defenders versus big men, and whether or not it's realistic for a wing player to win a uh, Defensive Player of the Year award. Um, so go check that out over at theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat. I still think Joel has a bigger impact on defense, but I think the narrative around Ben is strong enough this year, probably made up for a couple of, of, of a little bit of being overlooked in previous years. You're probably right. You're probably, he will, he would come in second. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think they're going to have, I, I think Joel is going to end up with the second team, all defensive nomination, Ben, a first team, all defensive nomination. I think Joel is a more impactful defender, but uh, Ben is sort of the more unique defender. And I do agree with that. The narrative is sort of on Ben's side in that regard. Yeah. This is going to be brutal, by the way. Joe is not going to get first team all NBA or first team all defense. Yeah. Brutal for this season. Yeah. Look, he played power forward against the Hawks in that one game where Dwight Howard played with him. That's enough. Write him in as a power forward (laughs) on both teams. Yeah, no, I, I hate, I hate losing stuff to positionality for sure. For sure. Um, but you're right. It's probably going to be Jokic's first team All-NBA center and Gobert is first team All-Defensive center. And Joel, having the best Sixers season probably since the 80s. Um, I think it's better than Iverson's season. Some of those Barkley seasons were pretty nasty in the yeah, late true. 80s, early 90s. I don't think it's... That's I'm true. not sure it's better than Joe just because so much of Joe's impact is and has always been defense. Yeah. yeah. So... Yep. No, yeah, I think it's probably better than the Barkley seasons, but that's an accomplishment being better than those because Chuck in the late 80s, early 90s was insanely good. And quite honestly, I would have to really think about the Moses and the Doc seasons back then too and really sit down and put them in proper context. But Joe is comparable to really just about any non-Wilt uh, Sixers season in, in franchise history, uh, and he's going to walk away with uh, no awards for it, which is pretty incredible. It's terrible. I mean, and... There's the stat on how many free throws he's taking. That actually can be traced back to Wilt per game. When when you go back that far and Wilt is always the backstop with that stuff, man, you know you are just putting in work. And uh, yeah, this sucks. He's got to make first team All-NBA. This bullshit he's, that he wouldn't not, make it. He's not. Um, and I say that and I have I don't have a vote. Uh, you don't have a vote. So we can say that and, and sort of remove ourselves from the process. Uh, but he is probably not. Uh, and he is then that's why these awards, I don't spend too much time worrying about it because they're very arbitrary. What's your competition? Like how many games have you played? What are the circumstances around your team? All I know is Embiid is playing unbelievable basketball. Uh, and we are get a treat to watch him every night. And he has a chance to put the Sixers in real title contention. And that's what, that's what really matters at the end of the day. Anyway, I think that's probably a good enough place to wrap it up. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.